one of the big findings from that, and this probably won't surprise anyone who's experienced it, but you have to remind yourself that if you're listening to something with lyrics, it's going to interrupt any work that you're doing that involves words or speech because of the way that our brain works. It's very difficult to hear something and kind of create something in the same domain at the same time. Hello, hello. Welcome back, Neurohacker community, to episode number 77 of our podcast. Today, Abel James joins us. He is an advocate for ancestral health, a New York Times bestselling author, musician, and creator of the hit podcast, Fat Burning Man. For his full bio, the show notes for this episode, and the transcript, go to neurohacker.com slash podcast. This episode is all about learning how to reconnect to nature and music for greater health, happiness, and productivity. Listen on to hear all about it. Here's Heather and Abel. Welcome to Collective Insights. I'm your host today, Dr. Heather Sanderson, and I am so delighted to be joined by Abel today. Thank you so much for joining me. So I'm always curious, um, tell me how you got into this business. <laughs> well, there are a number of different ways that I think a lot of us got into this. But for me, I was, my, uh, I was a really sick kid, and I grew up in the middle of the nowhere of nowhere in New Hampshire. And so uh, when I was just an infant, I got a really bad temperature that kept going on. And long story short, I became pretty much allergic to every antibiotic out there. And my mom, who was a nurse at the time, didn't know quite what to do with me. And there weren't, you know, very good medical centers around a very rural area. So she actually, you know, kind of like hit the books. And she's a great researcher and became an author herself after that, learning how uh, herbs can actually heal and how these ancient ways of healing have actually been around for a long time. And they there are a lot of uh, promising things in science that prove a lot to be true, uh, you know, kind of this this ancient wisdom or old wives' tales. Sometimes people brush it off, but anyway, I was raised not not really in the hospital as much as you know being covered in weird smelling bombs and taking t homemade tinctures and going out in the woods and getting mushrooms, and uh, and and so that was kind of a wacky way to be raised. And then of course, you know, I, being a type A, I wanted to achieve. I graduated high school as valedictorian in three years, then went to an Ivy League college, was super psyched about that, and learned a whole bunch of different things, took on a bunch of debt, got out of school, took a job in Washington, D.C. as a consultant. For the first time in my life, I had excellent health insurance. So I wanted to use it, and I went into the doctor just about, uh, Let's see. I was living in DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C., and I believe it was every two weeks I was going in because it was basically all free. I could get my blood work and I could learn, you know, how all of this worked. And also I was listening to my doctor who said who was a little bit, you know, soft himself, a little overweight, but telling me, you know, well, Abel, you've got a family history of heart disease and and cancer and all of these various problems over here. And so we want to prevent high triglycerides and high blood pressure and all these other things and so you have to eat super low fat and you have to avoid dietary cholesterol and you have to make sure you're eating more whole grains and i was already running 20 30 miles a week and after about a year following that advice i was about 30 plus pounds overweight my thyroid had had crapped out and I couldn't really maintain my body temperature above 96 degrees. I was sweating all the time. I was puffy and I was a mess. All the problems that we were trying to avoid 
had showed up in my life, even though I was in my, you know, early twenties. And so, um, I lost everything in an apartment fire and I, I basically hadn't, <laughs> it wasn't until then that I, that I looked in the mirror and kind of realized the state of my health. Cause I used to be an athlete before that. And I looked like a 40, five-year-old man who was completely out of shape and just moon-shaped face, really pale. And I'm just like, this clearly isn't working. My life is a mess. Let's let's make this a project. And within a few months, all of the weight had come off. I had a six-pack. I was basically like transformed into fat-burning man by doing the opposite of what that doctor was telling me to do. And by embracing you know, basically that world of alternative health that I was raised in, uh, using a lot of plants and eating a lot of plant foods, but also not being afraid of fat. And, and it was that combo combined with, you know, not over exercising and, and making some lifestyle adjustments too, that I think were important that, uh, that really transformed my health back into that example that I wanted to be of, you know, a young buck in his prime, you shouldn't feel like you're dragged down by life in your twenties. So I was so mad about that, that I started up fat burning man as a blog started writing about it then quickly a podcast and here we are just about 10 years later <laughs> wow what was the role of nature in that transformation what's the role of getting outside massive i think massive because when i when my health bottomed out um there was a lot of stress in my life. I was working as a consultant during the day trying to pay off my loans. I was moonlighting um, also doing computer programming on the side <laughs> and playing music late at night and on the weekends. And so doing all of those things didn't allow time for a simple hike in the woods. Like I used to would go out, you know, we'd go out with friends, we would go fishing, we'd go out on a canoe or we'd just go for a walk in the woods. Um, you know, Dartmouth was also in a rural area that was an important part of, of why I went there and, and why I loved it so much. And then you know, in life, I think that's taken away from us. And for whatever reason, we don't believe in recess anymore. It's just like perfect for kids. And of course, they should go out and play and they should get some sun and fresh air and all that. But then, no, we should be coding all day or we should be getting smarter and doing more. And that's a very Western way of thinking about all of this. And I think it gets us into some amount of trouble. So, yeah, now a big part of my message uh, is to go outside, to not be afraid of going outside. I think a lot of us subconsciously or consciously are we we have a lot of fear going outside whether it's in nature you know there are mountain lions out here where we live up in the mountains of colorado or in in city areas but uh man does it mess us mess us up fast when we don't go outside when we don't allow ourselves that movement and just that that break yeah and fear of the sun right so many people are told yes. over and over wear sunscreen stay out you know don't don't be in the sun from 10 to 2 or whatever it is and really there's a balance i think in that message absolutely absolutely yeah. well you don't want to get burned you know uh and <laughs> that's something that wouldn't really have happened so much if we were living in a natural world to begin with, but because you can live in the UK and then vacation somewhere with a ton of sun, you know, on the coast and the ocean, you can go and just get red as a lobster and burn, then get cancer and, and all of these cascading effects from that. Whereas if you had been kind of, and this is what we try to, to model and mimic in our own lives. Uh, I try to go out with the first morning sun as it comes up. Thankfully in Colorado in the West, we get a lot of sun. And that's one of the reasons we're here, here honestly. We chose this place because we you know how I was, I grew up in New Hampshire. We didn't get much sun there. So getting sun in the morning, 
uh, getting a bit of like kind of that base tan so that you can uh, go out and absorb sunlight. It's more than vitamin D. It's more than just a mood booster. We don't we can't quantify everything that it's doing, um, but it's sure a heck of a lot more than just like something that you should worry about uh, not getting too much of. It's more important than that. Right. Yeah. I've heard you talk about taking like a fast from technology, right? Part of what keeps us inside, I think, is our phones. We get distracted on our phones or we're on the computer, like you said, coding or being productive in one way or another, whatever that means for us. And we spend all this time trapped inside, whether it's our cars or our homes or offices, and we don't take these breaks. And, you know, we talk about fasting and as it you know, equates to the diet, but what about when it, when we're talking about technology and how we use technology? So do you have any hacks for how to, how to biohack your way out of using technology too much? Yeah. Use passive technology, turn it off, turn off the Bluetooth, turn off the Wi-Fi. Um, it's incredible. I have a few EMF meters and around phones, Wi-Fi routers and that, and things like that. They go nuts if you just leave them in default mode. Right. Um, But if you turn off the Bluetooth, the cell, then it drops way down lower. You don't get as much radiation from from all sorts of different devices. Even this ring, uh, you know, has a Bluetooth mode and a lot of wearables at this point um, do. But they don't do that by default. Everything is turned on. So one of the hacks would be make your default off. And if you want it on, then justify it and then probably turn it back off. That's what we try to do. Um, Going outside is something that a lot of people who are runners get this, but there's a gigantic mental benefit of doing just long cardio sessions or, and, and it could be walking, it could be exercise, it could even be more intense. But one of the reasons I run is for my mind. And so if I didn't run, then I would still be going out for that walk on the beach or that, you know, growing up in New Hampshire, once again, walking the dog um, every morning and every night. That was something that my parents always did. They still do that. We always have the dog. So if you don't have a dog, pretend that you do and do it as much as your dog would, would have needed. You know, it's, it's funny that we, we live in monkey bodies, essentially, but we don't think of ourselves as needing to go on a walk. But we always do when a dog is there and and so if you have a dog and you don't take it for that that walk you know exactly what happens the dog loses its mind <laughs> it completely loses emotional control and and that's exactly what happens to you no matter how old you are we're all going through this so you need to appreciate that and you need to as an intelligent thinking person account for that because we're all subject to it <laughs> So another area of expertise for you, you've already mentioned you're a musician and you wrote a book about music and the brain. Um, I am so excited to talk to you about that because personally, I have noticed that I am very emotionally influenced by music and I have to be really careful about what I listen to. And of course, my favorite genre is like the music to kill yourself to. It's like the, (laughs) like, you know, the David Gray and like uh, that whole... uh, (laughs) 
era and um and so it'll be it can be really depressing or I can also yeah. be very nostalgic like I start thinking about some ex-boyfriend from undergrad right and it's yeah. totally not productive totally distracting and um but very quickly going down this path that that doesn't really serve me versus sometimes without thinking about it somebody else turns on music that like really gets me excited and pumped and and like ready to perform uh with whatever yeah. it is that I'm doing whether it's hanging out with my child or seeing a patient and so I'm curious as an as, as like an expert in this what your thoughts are and and really any insights you have so that I can be a little bit more strategic about using music to my advantage and guiding my patients to do the same. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to dig in here. I'll try to do it relatively quickly cuz this is an obsession of mine. It's, it's been a lifelong. Oh, I would invite obsession. you to take your time and tell me right. everything you know. <laughs> okay, so y your body in a way when it hears music, your brain is dancing along. It's re-engaging those pathways, like you said, uh, that would allow you to feel nostalgic. Because, you know, in the same way that like you smell something and then it, you get a feeling from it because our brain isn't, you know, cut off from itself. It's connected. And, uh, and, and so music engages with so much of the primal part of who we are and, and our deep sub subconscious. This can be used for good or evil. You know, Muzak is an evil example. <laughs> I don't know if people remember this, but it's, it's well known in kind of shopping around grocery stores, shopping malls and things like that, that if you pipe in certain music, people buy less or more. Um, and they'll buy less or more compared to the control. And so when I was an undergrad at Dartmouth, we, we ran a few projects about what happens and, and research projects I mean so one of the big findings from that and this probably won't surprise anyone who's experienced it but you have to remind yourself that if you're listening to something with lyrics it's going to interrupt any work that you're doing that involves words or speech because of the way that our brain works it's very difficult to hear something and kind of create something in the same domain at the same time. So an interesting part of the, the research project was you could listen to music with lyrics in a language that you didn't understand, but you couldn't listen to music that had lyrics with, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish, so that didn't work. You know, you can't just block it out. You think you can, but you can't. So that's a big thing. If you're going to be doing any sort of work that's math related, you might be able to get away with it. Um, it's called the phonological loop. It, but if I, what I would recommend is that you make a playlist or find a playlist of study music, music without lyrics, um, and use that for whatever work that you have to do. Um, and that would be kind of like cognitive or intellectual work. Now, when it comes to exercising, this is really fascinating. A lot of the fastest runners will synchronize their running and their, their beats to their steps and use that cadence as their like almost like the majority of how they train. You can also do that with a metronome. And so finding that cadence is really important in training, not only for, you know, the physiological benefit and it makes it easier just to kind of like stay at that pace, but also because you get into a hypnotic trance. And when you get into that flow, everything's a little bit easier. You know, like your brain is is dialed in, so to speak. So different types of music will work for different types of people. If you're not exposed 
to music at a young age from a bunch of different cultures or music that is like high information music, Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, all of that, but also bebop jazz, you know, or like really complex movie scores, things like that. If you're not exposed to that at a young age and you don't really engage with it at a young age, it's kind of like missing that window with speech, with speaking another language. So you might not engage with that later in life. So if you are a parent, try to um, expose your, your children, even in a passive way, to music from all sorts of different cultures, to music that's all sorts of different kinds. You know, diversity in what you're hearing and absorbing and information is really important. And then, um, and I could keep going on forever, but what, one thing I'll kind of finish with, um, and feel free to dig in, Heather, with wherever you want to go, is when you are in that trance, when you are dancing and, and listening to music, um, the lyrics matter more. Because if, if anyone who's meditated or used a mantra knows how empowering that can be. The opposite is true if you're listening to music that has damaging themes, damaging words, violence, and things like that. Um, yes, you could dismiss it as woo-woo, but there's a lot of science and research that says there is an effect, you know, obviously, of mimicking what you see and, and also normalizing things that wouldn't have otherwise been normalized through, um, you know, poetry, books, words, music, all kind of the same thing. It just manifests in a different way. But do we yeah, have an ahead. understanding of the science around this? Like, is it about the vibration? Is it about some signaling? Like, what's going on there that can so profoundly shift our experience just by hearing something? One of the most, when I was doing a lot of research on this, one of the things that, that really affected me and, and illustrated it to me was a mother singing to her child. And the child, long before it can understand the intellectual component of what those words mean, before it can understand that language, it understands the emotional communication that's happening. So what music does is it engages the same pathways in the brain as language. It, it's, um, it's got rhythm, it has a tone or an inflection, it has all the different like parts of music, the patterns and, and uh, well, it's called in speech prosody. So one of the other things that came up in, in music was studying um, trained musicians versus non-trained musicians, seeing what, uh, how that shows up. Are they smarter? Do they have different abilities? And one of the biggest like abilities that these trained musicians had that non-trained or non-musicians didn't have was an increased ability to understand the emotional content of what's being said regardless of what the actual meaning of those words are, right? So like anyone who says, I'm fine, <laughs> or hears, I'm fine, knows that that could mean a lot of things. And a critical life skill is, is listening and, inter and communication and interpreting what those signals mean. And so uh, there are a variety of studies that kind of point to that fact that you can understand more about the emotional content of a message um, if you're a trained musician, because you're trained to listen for those things. You're also better able to hone in on, uh, you know, for example, a lot of people who aren't trained in music hear music as a big blob of sound. 
whereas musicians can listen in and be like, oh, the E flat on the bass is a little bit out of tune. And they can hear, oh, that oboe over there is playing something really interesting. And they can take apart, like like being in the same room as 40 people having a conversation, you can hone in on those different conversations in a way that that represents increased ability compared to those people who don't have that training. And does this change like the way, I mean, obviously it changes what we're interpreting or what we're hearing, um, but is it, does it change the way our brains work? Like, do we have differences in like say mood or, or mental capacity? Like what's different about musicians and how their brains function versus maybe non-trained musicians other than just what they hear? Yeah. Well, do we know? That's when the research gets a little fishy. It's not like one to one. There are more associations. It's hard to have, you know, these things where you say musicians are great at this and, and non-trained musicians aren't great at this. The way that I prefer to think about this is that um, we are all musicians. We are all dancers. We are all artists. And it's only recently that in school, it's you know, all the elementary schoolers are singers, or most of them are, right? But somehow we lose that in, in junior high and then in high school and certainly when we go into careers none of us are dancers anymore none of us are singers none of us we're all tone deaf and we don't you know we can't learn to to play music and for some reason we think that adults can't learn to do the things that the kids can do and so what i would encourage everyone to do whether a mus you're a musician or not is pretend that you are <laughs> and like you're pretending that you have a dog and try to practice these different domains of your life um, on most days because if you're not dancing if you're not playing and listening to music I consider those a form of intelligence and the high school that I went to was, was a private high school and kind of special that way and one of the things they taught was different types of intelligence and so anyone who's raising kids knows how important it is to, to have that range to do all sorts of different things because these like becoming good at at music for example or or learning how to play scales when i'm doing that as as a daily practice on the piano or, or the guitar or my voice is very similar to doing sprints when i run up the mountain and tendonitis is the same whether it's you know in your achilles or if it's in your fingers from doing these micro movements and so the more of these things that you do and engage with um the the more that you can win and there's a lot especially I know for the people who are listening right now because so many of them are so smart and specialized that it's tempting to keep doing the things that you're really good at but one one thing that's allowed me to progress in music and in fitness and sports is practicing the things that you're bad at make that your priority you know if you're really bad at, at dancing or music or, or sketching or art or writing or speaking or being in front of a camera or any of those things do that one that you're worst at just for a little bit and you'll learn so much in that domain that you're specialized in. So if people want to learn more about what you have on offer, your books, your podcast, where can they go to find out what you've got? The easiest place to find me is fatburningman.com. And you can look up, if you listen to podcasts or whatever channel, Fat Burning Man or Abel James. And I should pop up soon enough and uh yeah so my my latest book is called designer babies still get scabies that's at designerbabiesbook.com and then there are so many other projects but if you're a creator 
a free thinker or just someone who wants to kind of band together to do some cool work, then drop me a line. I'll, I'll do my best to get back to you. So fun. Abel James, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And all as always, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us for this conversation with Abel James. If you didn't know already, one of the other things we do in The Collective is create supplements for better cognition, better aging, supported sleep, and more energy. If you're looking for any or all of that, go to neurohacker.com to learn more. And as our gift to you, we're offering an additional 15% off your first order using the code PODCAST77. If you have questions about this content, please leave them on our site at neurohacker.com podcast, and we'll work to get those answered on a future episode. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. See you next time.